top of it. Well, I want to start with a story I heard some years ago by John Cassis. He was the chaplain to the Chicago Bears back when the Bears won the Super Bowl in 1986. How many of you were alive in 1986? You even, that's more than I thought. That's more than I thought. If you remember that Bears team, you might remember that they had some players on it like William the Fridge Perry, just this hulk of a defensive tackle. The quarterback was Jim McMahon. And uh, Cassis tells this story about a team chapel service. And at the, at the end of it, uh, the coach, Mike Ditka, had a few closing comments to make. And then he looked at William Perry and said, William, lead us in closing out with the Lord's Prayer. Well, Jim Cassis was, I mean, uh, John Cassis was standing next to Jim McMahon, the quarterback. McMahon leans over to him and he says, he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And Cassis said, of course he does. He knows the Lord's Prayer. McMahon said, no, he doesn't, man. I'm telling you, look at him. You see him fidgeting? See the sweat starting to break out on his forehead? I'll bet you 20 bucks he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And so he says, fine, I'll take you up on that. They shook. Cassis, when he tells this story, says, what is wrong with this picture? The team chaplain's making a bet with the quarterback (laughs) that one of the players doesn't know the Lord's Prayer in a chapel service. But William said, let us pray. They all bowed their heads. There's a long silence. And then William Perry finally speaks. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Amen. Cassis said when he looked up, Jim McMahon was pulling a $20 bill out of his wallet and said, here, man, I didn't know he knew it. (laughs) Is it possible to know the Lord's Prayer and be unfamiliar with it at the same time? I mean, I know a lot of us can probably say the Lord's Prayer, recite it perfectly, but not necessarily understand the depth and the meaning of the words we're saying, or at least not understand the depth that Jesus perhaps intended when he gave us this prayer. And when we learn some of this meaning, sometimes we're surprised, sometimes amazed, and sometimes we're challenged. I wonder if that last category might fit the part of the prayer we're talking about today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes you hear people say the church is no place for politics. The sentiment is understandable when you think about the state of affairs of modern politics in America. It's divisive, it's ugly, and certainly the church is no place for that. But politics simply is talking about the way things in our world work, what determines how they work. And that is something God does care about. God cares about how things in the world work. God wants to see God's intentions for the world God made carried out. So we think about this phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, said, thy kingdom come rules out any idea that the kingdom of God is a purely heavenly reality. 
We're talking about the ways of God being lived out here and now. Jesus did not come just to get us into heaven. Jesus came to get heaven into us. So let's think about this line in the Lord's Prayer. And and let's focus, to begin with, on kingdom of God. Over a hundred times in the Gospels, Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God or its corollary, kingdom of heaven. And in the first sermon on the Lord's Prayer, on Ash Wednesday in here, we talked about heaven not so much as as a place. It's, It's not a spatial reference. It's a spiritual reference. And the kingdom of God is the same. The kingdom of God is talking about a condition, a condition of life. Now, we don't talk about in terms of kingdoms today, we say countries or, or nations, but we understand what we mean. If you have a kingdom, you've got a king. And the values of that king are meant to be realized everywhere in the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is simply the way Jesus spoke about the reign of God, the way life looks when God's ways are in effect. How well would you say God's ways are in effect in our world today? Over 170,000 people died last year alone from wars in the world. It's estimated that 2 billion people in the world lack safe drinking water. More people in the U.S. died from gun violence in 2021 than any previous year on record. Schools with 90% or higher students of color spend more than $700 a year less per student than schools that are 90% higher white students. Certainly not everything about our world reflects the kingdom of God. Jesus, in Luke 17, makes an interesting distinction about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God does not come in such a way as to be seen because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, how are we to understand that? I mean, it almost sounds a little bit like a contradiction The kingdom of God can't be seen, but it can be seen in you. How do we make sense of that? One possibility might be that what Jesus is saying when he uses the word kingdom of God is the presence of God that is at work in the world carrying out God's intentions. In other words, the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is God's agent at work in the world to carry out God's wishes. And like Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see the wind. You can hear it. You can see trees moving because of it, but you can't see the wind. The Bible also says the Holy Spirit's in us, that God sends the Holy Spirit upon us to empower us. So what we're talking about here is that the kingdom of God is made visible in our lives. People make the kingdom of God visible. Turn to the person next to you right now and say, 
That means you're supposed to act regal. <laughs> the kingdom of God is made visible in the way we live. No wonder Jesus combined the kingdom of God with the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The will of God means the same thing. It's the ways of God being enacted in the world. But the Bible is also clear. The will of God is something that we do. The majority of references to the will of God in the New Testament is in the context of something we are supposed to do. Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, where does, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean to do the will of God to make the kingdom of God visible? Certainly one thing it means is how we live in the social dimension. There's a social dimension to this understanding of kingdom of God because we live in social structures, in political systems, and we are called to be as faithful to God in those realms as we are in any other. We are certainly doing kingdom of God work when we show compassion for the needy. But we are also doing kingdom of God work when we change systems that create needy people. Brazilian Archbishop Dom Helda Camara once said, when I feed the hungry, they call me a saint. When I ask why the poor are hungry, they call me a communist. Thy kingdom come. When we pray that, realize what we're saying to God. God, I give you permission to tear down the veil between my faith life and my civic life. Make me as faithful, God, when I walk into the voting booth is when I feed the hungry. In 2022, the chaplain of Syracuse University, Brian Conkle, wrote a helpful piece as people were preparing to vote that year. He said the ballot box is sacred space and voting is a spiritual act. When we elect representatives or discern referendums, we proclaim our personal beliefs and shape our public surroundings, all of which shapes communities far after the polls close. To be a voting citizen is itself an act of faith, for we all depend on each other, and together we trust that our actions can indeed make a difference. The Democratic Party does not save the world. The Republican Party does not save the world. What we need the world to look like is the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It shapes, or it should at least, how we face our civic public responsibilities. But there's also a personal dimension to this prayer. Because when we pray that God's kingdom happens on earth, that means, Lord, let it happen in me. Let your kingdom be reflected in the way I live. Eugene Boring is a New Testament professor, and in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, he said, God's will is carried out all the time by the actions of his people, even those who serve God without knowing it. Now, I've 
found that last part very interesting, very intriguing. Even those who serve God without knowing it. I think I may have seen a story on the news this week that demonstrates that. Larry Farish is a city school bus driver in Louisville, Kentucky. And there was a story on national news this past week. He takes a personal interest in all of the kids, the students who are on his bus. He kind of learns their personalities, how to read the kids, how they're doing. And there was one uh, little boy on the bus named Levi who always had a smile, was always happy and outgoing. But that day, Larry noticed he, he wasn't so happy. So as he stopped at his stop to go home and he was getting off the bus, he just leaned over and said, Levi, you doing okay? And Levi started to tear up and he said, it's pajama day at school, and I don't have any pajamas. Well, Larry did something about that. Once he finished his route delivering all the kids home, parked his bus, he got in the car, went to a store to buy Levi some pajamas. Look at how it lit up, this kid. This picture tells it all. <laughs> Little Levi is just a glow. He said about Mr. Larry, as the kids on the bus call him, I can tell that Mr. Larry is very happy and his heart is filled with joy. Now, there's nothing in there about God. There's, there was no mention on the national news if Larry is, is a believer in God, a member of any kind of religion. And what it says to me is even if he is not, even those who do not know God, can still allow the kingdom of God to work through them. When? When they are willing to practice kingdom values. <laughs> Christianity does not have an exclusive hold on the kingdom of God. If it's not bigger than us, it's not big enough. It belongs to God. But when we offer ourselves, that kingdom can work through us. And what it looks like is somebody like Mr. Larry, who could have said... My job is to, is to make sure kids get to school and get home safe and sound. That's, that's all I'm paid for. I am not paid to pay attention to these kids. I am not paid to worry about whether they're happy or sad. I don't get paid enough for that. And he probably doesn't. But that's not Mr. Larry. He's somebody in whom the kingdom of God works. Because he's willing to step aside to pay attention to others. Jesus demonstrates this attitude in an ultimate fashion in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus was crucified, he gets apart from his disciples where he can be alone and he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, don't miss the point. Don't make doing the will of God so extreme that it looks like having to be crucified next to Jesus. If that's the case, none of us can say we do the will of God. The will of God looks like bringing that prayer into our house. Bringing that prayer into our daily living. Making that prayer something we carry with us every day. God, what does it look like to do your will right now? Lord, I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to happen through my life. That that's how I want to find value and meaning and purpose. 
What does that look like for you? What does it look like to pray, thy will be done, to make the kingdom visible? Are there people you can pay attention to with what's going on in their lives? Are there opportunities to serve and do something for others? Times when you get so consumed with what you've got to get done, your worries that just overwhelm you, that leave you with no capacity to focus on anybody else. That is when that prayer really does mean something. Do you think Jesus had a reason to be a little self-consumed when he knew he was about to be crucified? Yet not my will, Father, but thine be done. What does it look like to pray that prayer? So when it comes to the kingdom of God, the will of God, there's a social dimension, there's a personal dimension, but there's one more. There's an eternal dimension. The kingdom of God bridges two time dimensions. The time dimensions of Kronos and Kairos time. We might recognize the word Kronos. It's the word from which we get chronology. That, that's our time dimension. We can measure that time. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, years. It's time we measure. We're limited by time. That's, that's the world we live in. Kairos time is the world God lives in. Time cannot be measured. It is eternal. Every moment is like an eternal right now with God. The kingdom of God bridges those two dimensions. Now, what does that have to do with us? Because sometimes when we offer our lives to let God's kingdom work through us, we have no choice but to measure it in chronos time. Can we see God working? Can we see God doing something because of our faithful action? And if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to get discouraged if we don't. Well, we have to go, wait a minute. God works in Kairos time. God works in a different dimension. We might not always see it. This past week I was in Phoenix. Susan and I were there together. We joined with other um, senior pastors of large Methodist churches from around the country. And the first morning, uh, my friend Davis Chapel, who's the senior pastor at Brentwood Methodist in Nashville, gave the devotion. And he shared about a book he had just read recently called Refugia Faith. Refugia Faith. The word refugia, we might recognize it, sounds a lot like refuge. And actually, it means very, very similar things. But refugia is actually an ecological term. It has to do with habitats that remain vital and resilient in spite of negative effects and disturbances. The illustration in the book is of Mount St. Helens. In 1980, uh, the violent eruption of the volcano spewed hot ash lava for miles, not only across the mountain, but far beyond. And it destroyed everything. It killed all of life. And many experts and scientists felt like it was going to take centuries before life returned. Yet, Within 40 years, the area around Mount St. Helens looks like this. Grass, green fields again, flowers, small trees, shrubs, even animal life. Because what the scientists didn't know at the time 
was that underneath boulders, underneath dead logs, there were pockets in which seeds were there, even nests of creatures that were able to survive, little refugias, pockets to preserve life that you couldn't see for a long time, but eventually it prevailed. The kingdom of God is like refugia. It's pockets that preserve life and hope that you can't always see the benefits of it. But in God's kairos time, it's always working. The kingdom is doing its work because the kingdom doesn't belong to us. It just works through us. It is not ours to possess. It is not ours to own. All we can do is simply avail ourselves and say, God, work through me. And then we've done our job. The results belong to God. What God can do with our faithfulness is more than we could ever do. My wife Susan has a friend named Martha who some years ago married a Methodist minister in England, and that's where they live in the north of England. And she told Susan some time ago about a story. It was about a group of Methodists who in the 1800s felt called to start a Methodist church in Russia. And they got really excited about this. They felt like the call was crystal clear. God was sending them to Russia. And so they left and headed to Russia. And when they arrived in Russia, they registered their Methodist church with the government. That's what you were expected to do. I'm sure there were a lot of people who didn't, but they wanted to make sure they followed the rules. They registered their Methodist church and they got to work. They were excited about the, the, the conversions they were going to see, the people coming to faith, communities transformed. But after a few years, nothing happened. They didn't see anything and they got discouraged. They thought, what happened? They, they eventually left and went back to England feeling like failures because they, they so believed that God was going to use them. Did, did they get it all wrong? Okay, fast forward to the 1980s and the fall of the Berlin Wall. When the Berlin Wall came down, religion in Russia began to sprout up again, kind of like Mount St. Helens. It just it started appearing. But Russia got concerned about all of these religious groups coming into the country. What if there are some fanatical groups? Some of these might not be healthy. So they, they established a rule. The only churches that would be allowed in Russia were those who had been registered with the government at least for 100 years. That is how the Methodist church got into Russia today through a group of missionaries in the 1800s who never got to see the benefit. But they created a refugia. They created a pocket God used and worked through. Do, do you need to hear that today? Do you need to be reminded that sometimes the most important work you ever do is what you will never see? It's the seed you plant out of the faithfulness of your soul. God's saying, I just want you to do this. And we so want to see the benefit of our work. And God says, that's, that's not your job. Let me do my work now. Just let me use you. Just let me use your life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth. As it is in heaven.
So let's close as we're going to do each week in this series by saying together this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.